You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Well, thank you, Derek and Courtney. That was wonderful. And we'll continue to pray for you, Derek, that <laughs> your back gets better. Thanks, Jeff and Emily, for kicking us off with Advent. It's wonderful. Hard to believe it's here already. Um, one thing I'd like to encourage families is that we would celebrate Advent together, and we wanted to do something between after Christmas and New Year's. So we did what we called Second Advent, and we just had a list of scriptures talking about the second coming of Christ. So if that's something you'd like to do in your families, we thought it was wonderful just reviewing that at least once a year, the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, Mike Hartle's off today. We'd like to give our pastor time off to um, just re-energize, get strengthened. Also ask for prayer for Mike. As many of you know, he has an autoimmune disease and he had another injection, and he's in a lot of pain right now, so just cover your prayers for that. We'll be uh, studying in First Peter today, chapter 2. Um, this is the seventh in the series I've been doing on that. It's been quite a few months, so I'll give a little background before we get started, but let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We have it freely before us. We can... We can know, Lord, through your special revelation, what you require of us, and who you are, who Jesus is. And we are just overwhelmed with the gift of your Son to us. Lord, we desire to serve you. We desire to glorify your name. We ask, Lord, that you'd move us by your Spirit. Help us look deep within ourselves on how we can please you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage is going to be on 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 11 through 17. And I'll give a brief introduction since it's been a while since I've been in this passage. So Peter is writing to the Christians in Asia Minor. It's during the time of the Roman Emperor Nero in the early to mid-60s A.D., The Roman population was suspicious and hostile towards Christians. The policy of Rome was a tolerance of foreign religious practices as long as they did not threaten Roman stability. When instability threatened, then these religious practices were suppressed. Emperor worship permeated the entire culture of the Greek cities in Asia Minor. So there was pressure on Christians for social conformity. The Roman religion permeated all aspects of culture in both public and private life. There was no separation between the secular and the sacred. Every location and activity were associated in some way with the gods of Rome. Romans believed that God's influenced every part of the natural world and human interests. So maintenance of the cults 
and rituals were deemed as a necessity central to Roman identity and welfare. Religious practice also kept the civilized world in order. In Roman culture, the good usually referred to the social expectations and ideals of the Roman Empire. That is the imperial ideology or theology. Virtue involved honoring the superiority of the upper strata and the wealthy, such as military generals, office holders, doctors, and judges. The power that the emperor exercised the resources at his disposal, and the benefits received from the emperor were all considered divine in nature. Therefore, appropriate honor and gratitude took traditional forms of worship, including altars, temples, statues, inscriptions, sacrifices, and even festivals in their cities. Christians were accused of atheism, because they rejected the worship of the local gods that were supposed to be the source of health and welfare for the Roman Empire. They were also accused of hatred of humanity because they refused to participate in city life that was defined by Roman religion. Christianity became a direct threat to the empire, including an increasing in, I'm sorry, in the eyes of the Roman officials and public, they were a threat. Christians were causing a decline of religion, including an increasing neglect of religious responsibility, a challenge to the empire's unity, and a violation of Roman traditional morality. In Peter's introduction to this letter, he is addressing those who have been born again. By the mercy of God, he reminds them that they are protected by the power of God and that we have an inheritance in heaven reserved for us. He also says that they have had various trials that have tested their faith. Therefore, they should fix their hope completely on the grace of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's read 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's focus, I'm going to break this passage down, and let's focus first on verses 11 and 12. Peter addresses them as aliens and strangers, partly because many of them were transplanted to Asia Minor from Rome 
but also because they are aliens in that their citizenship is in heaven. They are in the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors from the kingdom of God in this current world. No matter what country we hold our citizenship, we have been born again into the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Peter is addressing the citizens of heaven on how to behave in this world. First of all, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts, our own sinful desires. We must ask ourselves, what do we love more, our sin or our Lord Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we love because he first loved us by dying on the cross for our sins. Peter says earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Paul says in his letters to the Thessalonians, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and abstain from every form of evil. Now we must acknowledge that abstaining from our own own fleshly desires is not easy. It says in James, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? What is that war? It is our flesh, our natural desires, that battle against the Spirit of God within us. I'll read a portion of Romans 8 that talk about this battle. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life. And peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. A familiar verse to many of you is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The Spirit of God is within us. Later, Peter says in chapter 4 of his letter, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, also at the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passes sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable 
idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. We are told that we are not to run with the crowd. We are not to participate in the same fleshly behaviors that we know do not please God. It does not mean that we isolate ourselves from the community in a bubble. That is not what is being said in this letter. But we are to keep our behavior excellent, as it says in verse 12. The community around us, as we go about our daily lives at work, in stores, or wherever we are, they should be able to testify about our excellent behavior. But it is not just what is seen publicly, but also the intentions of our heart. Peter says later in chapter 3, Keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. But even if we have excellent behavior, we may still have slanderous remarks said about us, and we will be persecuted. Peter says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. He says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God into this name. You may be slandered by others as a bad person, but they will not be able to deny your good deeds. And that is what pleases God. It says in Hebrews, do not neglect in doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God God is pleased. God is pleased with our good deeds. He calls them sacrifices to himself. Peter is not telling us to be good by our own strength and the power of our will. Even Paul struggled with being good when he said, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. We cannot do good on our own, on the strength of our own flesh. That is why we have the Holy Spirit within us, to empower us to live holy lives. Our faith and our hope are in God, not in ourselves. Despite what we hear from the word of faith preachers on TD, on TV, we do not have the power to change our lives. It is God working within us. We are to submit to Him and allow Him to change us. It says in Romans, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Another familiar verse says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. God is glorified when we depend upon His power working within us to please Him in all that we do. 
Let's look at this next section in 1 Peter verses 13 through 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's an applicable passage for today. In this time, we are to submit to government authorities, and Peter continues to write about submission and other areas of life in the rest of this letter. Servants are to be submissive to their masters, wives to be submissive to husbands, angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to Christ, younger men are to be subject to their elders. And we are commanded to submit to leaders within the church, as it says in Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. But why are we commanded to submit to the ruling government of this world? Uh, Let's turn to Romans 13. Romans 13, starting with chapter 1. You mean... May even have pericope on there that says be subject to government. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not, a, are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is the minister of God for you to do f- to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We are to submit to government authorities. And Peter continues to write about submission in his letter. And Paul's letter to the Romans here repeats some of the same themes in this passage in 1 Peter about submission, doing good, and honor. The authorities are established by God. I know at first glance we may wonder what God is thinking when we look at some of the evil governments around the world, and even at the governing officials in our own country. But we must remember that God has a purpose in all that he does. When we look at a government like the one described in Revelations 13 and 18, a government that requires us to worship someone who is not God, a government that persecutes and kills Christians. We must trust that God is in control and that his purposes will be accomplished. Let's look at examples of leaders or rulers in the Old Testament. Uh, 
Mike Hartle and Scott Barbie have been taking us through Exodus, and we've been looking at the life of Moses right now. Moses was sent by God to Israel to lead Israel out of Egypt. God spoke to Moses face to face, yet the people grumbled against Moses and therefore against God. Not submitting to the leadership of Moses was counted the same as not submitting to God. We look at King David. David was anointed king over Israel by God. Yet King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. God used a king that displayed questionable moral character to rule over Israel. Another example is King Ahab. He was the a ruler of North, the northern kingdom of Israel for 21 years. He was known as the most wicked king in the history of Israel. Ahab had forsaken the commandment of God and followed other gods. God used the prophet Elijah to confront the people of Israel to turn back to the Lord. After Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal and Mark Carmel, and God displayed his power, the people turned back to God. God used an evil king and a prophet to turn back the people of Israel back to himself. It is not for us to determine if the rulers over us are under the sovereignty of God. For Romans 13 states that all authorities are established by God. We are to submit under their authority to do what? To do what is right. We are to submit to a government authority to do good because they are put in place to punish evil. But if the government laws or requirements prevent us from doing what God requires of us, are we to submit to those laws? We are ambassadors for Christ. As an ambassador for the kingdom of God, we respect the customs of this country and abide by its laws to do what is right. But if we're but we are not expected to accept its philosophy or its morality or obey laws that conflict with our obedience to God. We must obey God rather than men. Paul was an ambassador in chains for preaching the gospel. He was imprisoned for talking about Jesus. He was imprisoned for doing what is right in God's eyes. One of the activities of the church is to gather together as believers. As it says in Hebrews, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some governments show favoritism for a particular religion, such as Islam, or make laws requiring, requiring religious groups to register in order to operate restricting which groups are allowed to operate in their country. Or they may be atheistic countries that do not allow the practice of any religion. So many Christians, Christian churches in these nations must secretly meet in defiance of their governments. Why? Because they must obey God rather than men in assembling together as a church. Government officials in areas around our country are not allowing churches to meet together in person due to a public health crisis. 
Normally, a vaccine takes years to produce. Should we? Should Christians submit to shutting down our churches for years? A church in Los Angeles, California, chose to open back up, which violated a public health order. I'm going to read a statement from Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, California. This is a church that is pastored by John MacArthur. He's been pastor there for over 50 years. This is their statement. As his people, we are subject to his will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed moratorium on our weekly congregational worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience to our Lord's clear commands. God has not granted civic rulers authority over the doctrine, practice, or polity of the church. As the church, we do not need the state's permission to serve and worship our Lord as he has commanded. Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. In other words, freedom of worship is a command of God not a privilege granted by the state. Christians are therefore commanded not to forsake the meeting together. We must obey God rather than men. Now, initially, Grace Community Church submitted to the government lockdown. So in their statement, they said, We believe guarding public health against serious contagions is a rightful function of Christians as well as civil government. Therefore, we voluntarily followed the initial recommendations of our government. It is apparent to us that those original projections of death were wrong, and the virus is nowhere near as dangerous as originally feared. They make this statement because the virus currently has a mortality rate of 0.2%. On September 10th, the Superior Court judge issued a preliminary injunction that forbids their church from conducting, participating in, or attending any indoor worship services. And they continued to meet. One week after the injunction was issued, MacArthur received a letter threatening additional fines and up to six months in jail if he continued to hold worship services in the church's sanctuary. Their church continues to meet, and a contempt hearing will be held against them on January 15th. Last month, three of the 7,000 attendees at Grace Community Church had contracted mild cases of the virus. On November 13th, Los Angeles County Public Health declared the church free from the outbreak. Now, whether our church self-imposes more restrictions or lifts restrictions has been a fluid situation. The elders of our church are constantly evaluating how to respond to the spread of this virus and changes in public health orders. So we covet your prayers for continued wisdom in unity now and in the future. Now the question to ask yourself is how are you responding to this pandemic? Do your conversations with others inspire hope? Do we as Christians shine with the light of Christ in our lives? 
Are people drawn to churches in our communities because they know that that is where they will find answers to the difficulties of life? We are a people of hope and peace. As it says in Romans, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. We are different from the world. We exult in tribulations and suffering because our hope is in Christ. God our Father is in control, and we need not fear whatever happens in the world. He is our hope. Peter says later in his letter in chapter 3, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. The far-reaching public health orders have hindered the ministries of churches in many ways. In my opinion, churches in America will undergo increasing persecution for what we believe. There are governments in our world today where Christians are persecuted and killed. On the Open Doors 2020 World Watch List of where it is hardest to be a Christian, 45 nations were rated very high on persecution levels. The listed nations include 260 million Christians suffering high to severe levels of persecution. It is expected that another 50 million Christians will be added to this list by next year. North Korea has ranked number one every year since the watch list began in 2002. Yet, there are Christians in North Korea the most restrictive nation on earth. How do these Christians submit to the governing authorities? First, we must look at when the government is in opposition to God and his laws. What commands are given by God that we must obey even if they go against the laws of our government? One is preach the word. As Paul says to Timothy, be ready in season and and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. After Saul persecuted the church in Jerusalem, they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. The early church faced persecution from the Romans for refusing to show political and religious loyalty. Peter says later in his letter in chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, 
But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Peter says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The early church and Christians today suffer various types of persecution. One is verbal abuse. Jesus even said this. He said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And Peter says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. They even had their property seized. But remember, this is out of Hebrews, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You'll be unjustly prisoned, Jesus said. They will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Paul said in Philippians, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brethren... Trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It even says in the book of Revelations, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. When John wrote this, he was in exile on the island of Patmos. We we will even be killed. Jesus said to all who follow him that we will be hated because of his name. And, Jesus' words, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Stephen, one of the early martyrs, was stoned to death. James, the brother of John, was put to death by Herod the king. Revelations describes those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. I'm going to read Paul's testimony out of 2 Corinthians. It's kind of a resume of persecution. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if, ins- as if insane. I am more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys 
in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's the wonderful Christian life <laughs> Paul just described. <laughs> Paul is describing the life of one committed to Christ, a life of suffering. So why do we submit to authorities that may punish, imprison, or even have us executed? Peter says in chapter 2, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." We are to be like Christ, who suffered for us. Should we suffer less than our Master did, our Lord Jesus Christ, while he lived on this earth? But it's not just suffering that we look forward to. We have a future hope. Peter says, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Paul says in Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul states, most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ empowers us to endure persecution. He is the one who gives us strength. And I like to focus on verse 15, First Peter. For such is the will of God that by doing right may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The will of God to do right. Peter says later in chapter 3, For it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. In verse 16, we are to act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. We are free and also we are slaves of God. Jesus makes us free. We have been freed from sin and are enslaved to God. We were redeemed with the blood of Christ on the cross. He has purchased us with his blood. We are his slave. As slaves of Christ, we do the will of God as our hearts desire. Nothing in our lives means more than serving Christ. He is our master. Paul declares in his first letter to the Corinthians, Am I not free? Yet in his freedom he proclaims, We endure all things, so 
we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. That is our mission, our co-mission by Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are slaves of Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy people, God's own possession to proclaim Christ. God called us out of darkness and brought us to himself. We have the biblical story before us. What is your story? How does your story fit in to the biblical story? How did God call you to himself? May the desire to share that story your story, God's story with you, may that burn within you, within you, that desire to share that with others, how God brought you to himself. May it be at the forefront, forefront of your mind as you go about your day. I know our days are filled with distractions, but this is a battle. It is spiritual warfare. We need to always bring prayer in every situation or conversation that we have. Our own flesh, our own selfish desires and temptations are at war with the Spirit within us. We need to be constantly be in prayer in God's Word in order to battle our own flesh. Paul stated, I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In this present physical earth, We are in a spiritual war for the kingdom of God. Are we equipped for battle? I don't have time to go through it right now, but Ephesians 6, you have time to read through that. That's the armor we need to put on for battle. There's a reason that's in there in the scriptures. We need to have our armor on every day. We are at spiritual war in this world. We must keep in mind and in prayer every day that we are in battle. We are at war to make the gospel known. And I think verse 17 of 1 Peter 2 sums up this passage. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We honor all people by doing good and displaying excellent behavior wherever you are. What is honor is to show respect, give recognition, to show high regard for. And this often implies an act to show that honor. Love the brotherhood by using your freedom in Christ to love one another. Peter says later in chapter 4, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Fear God. We fear God by submitting to authorities he has established and by obedience to God's command by doing what is right. This glorifies God. Honor the king by submitting to his authority to do what is right. This is the key to submission, to do what is right. This glorifies God. What we do know to be right is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then live a life of obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. We know that's right. When you have to make a decision on what is the right thing to do in a particular circumstance, For example, how to respond to our government's current restrictions to assembling together. We ask God this question. Lord, what will best glorify you? 
That should be on our minds, the decisions we make every day. God, what will best glorify you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it guides us. It's a rule of faith in this world. We desire to please you, Lord. We desire to honor the governing authorities, and we desire to balance that, Lord, with honoring you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is sovereign over all the earth. Our desire, Lord, is to please you. I pray you would guide us in our personal decisions as we walk about in our daily lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people of hope, that the light of Christ would shine from us to those around us, that people would see something different, and that is Christ in us. I pray, Lord, you continue to give the elders wisdom as we navigate uh, through this period of time in your church. May you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.